2: Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and welcome to The Daily Beast, The New Abnormal. I'm a left-wing pundit and an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and figure out how to get ourselves out of it.
3: And I'm producer Jesse Cannon. I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. What a wild ride of an episode we have today. Kurt Anderson, who's the former spy magazine editor and host of Studio 360, has a new podcast called Nixon at War, which he will tell us all about. And I've been absolutely loving. Then we're going to talk to Crackhead Barney and friends. And if you aren't familiar with what I'm talking about, you're going to want to stick around to hear this wild interview about her combative interview style that's going viral all over the internet. But first, we have New Yorker writer, CNN global analyst, and co-author of The Man Who Ran Washington, The Life and Times of Jim Baker,
2: Susan Glaser. Welcome to the new abnormal, Susan Glaser. So great to be with you, Molly. I'm very excited to have you. And when I was watching the summit yesterday, I was thinking you are the person I think of because not only have you covered this, but you've also lived in Russia.
0: Well, really what you were thinking was that, my God, she's been around forever. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was not thinking that. Because I have actually seen all five U.S. presidents that Putin has interacted with going all the way back to Bill Clinton and seen and watched the the story of, you know, each of them trying and not necessarily succeeding, figuring out how to deal with Vladimir Putin. How do you deal with but I mean, it's been so interesting because they
2: built up very low expectations, which I think was the right thing. But have you seen a president who's done it better than other presidents? And do you feel like Biden
0: did this the right way? I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think that Russia hands were very skeptical before the summit that it really was worthwhile, and there was some real controversy inside the Biden administration for that reason. What what was possibly the rationale? Uh, there's one thing that American diplomats have seen very consistently for two decades from Putin, and that is that he craves the approval uh, and the stature accorded to him uh, by meeting on the world stage with the American president. Why would Biden choose to do that so early in his administration when they're not interested in Russia policy, you know, trying to pivot to Asia and to focus on China? And also when Putin has engaged in this series of very provocative actions, including 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine. Lots of people genuinely worried that he really was threatening military action again. And so I think that in the lead up to the summit, they dialed down expectations, but there still was an uneasiness. Yeah. Why is Biden choosing to do this? I think, frankly, what you saw yesterday is they're just going to let the air out of the balloon and that that in some ways was their goal not to make it a, a big deal. And it wasn't. I mean, you know, there is no transformative meeting to be had At this point, 20 years in with Vladimir Putin.
2: I mean, that seems like the lesson he's learned is that there can never be a reset with this guy.
0: I think that it is the very strong conclusion of uh, certainly all the Russia experts I know that there's not going to be a meaningful shift in U.S.-Russian relations uh, until such time as Vladimir Putin is gone from the stage. And remember that Putin is still a relatively young man, even though he's already been in power for more than two decades, which makes him the longest serving Russian leader since Joseph Stalin. At the same time, he's only in his late 60s and he's extended, changed the Russian constitution to extend his, his life empower to be essentially uh, the whole of his life, and he could still be there when he's in his 80s.
2: If you were able to sort of control the world, what could you do to dislodge Putin?
0: (laughs) Well, luckily, uh, you know, we (laughs) journalists get to simply criticize we don't actually have to do anything, uh, which is probably a good thing. Journalists are not famous for their organizational... (laughs) Skills and managerial skills. Look, the thing that's interesting is that, you know, Americans tend to have a very caricaturish notion of uh, democracy or autocracy, dictator or Democrat, small d, you know, all or nothing. Right. And of course, Every country in the world has politics. Myanmar has politics, and Vladimir Putin definitely has politics. And a lot of the reason he often focuses on international issues and you know the world stage is because it's a way of distracting uh, from the political developments at home. And you know the arrest of Alexei Navalny, the crackdown on independent political activity inside Russia, has been met with a lot of protest and a lot of concern, especially by the younger generation that has known nothing but Vladimir Putin, you know, essentially for their conscious life. And so, you know, Putin has politics too. However, the thing about Navalny is that he stands out because the rest of the opposition, frankly, has been very weak. And Putin was masterfully able, especially in his early years, when when I was based there as a correspondent, in, you know, sort of playing this divide-and-conquer role with the opposition. And, and, and it worked, and it, it was one of the reasons that he was able to relatively quickly reconsolidate power in the Kremlin and to eliminate the vestiges of a, you know, small-D democratic system that had been created, however, imperfectly in the 1990s.
2: Do you think that this was a success, this trip for Biden?
0: So the trip overall, I think in some ways it was politically low risk for Joe Biden and therefore it was rewarding in that sense. Absolutely. The goal of this trip was to go out on the world stage and remind people that he was not Donald Trump, that America is back, that America is respected again, and that we have allies and partners and that we can do stuff on the world stage. And that was literally uh, the goal of the, the trip in some Way And so he more than accomplished that. You look at the numbers, the Pew Global Attitudes Survey came out while he was on the trip to Europe, and it showed, not surprisingly, that attitudes have basically flip-flopped and that, you know, essentially 75% of those surveyed in a dozen countries around the world were uh, believed Joe Biden would do the right thing around the world. And that number was under 20 percent. I think it was like something like 17 or 15 percent for Donald Trump.
2: The ability to not be Donald Trump has been a huge asset for Biden.
0: I think it is. Now, of course, it has limits. Remember that every president comes into office and especially at the beginning of their tenure, when they haven't yet assembled a record of their own, when you know there's some continuity, they tend to want to be the un- Person and and frankly, our elections have have again and again in sort of recent history basically veered in the direction of picking someone to succeed the president who's quite different than the person who came before. And so, you know, Obama was certainly spent a lot of time being the un-Bush, you know, and George Bush, you know, before nine eleven sort of reshaped his presidency. He was he ran as an un-Clinton. He ran as an unClinton, clinton you know, talking about things like restoring dignity, the Oval Office, things like that. And so it's not that much of a shocker. I mean, the difference is that Trump was so cartoonishly over the top in so many respects that uh, in some ways it's just easier for Joe Biden to be the un-Trump. I mean, it definitely seems like there's a
2: journalistic reset when it comes to Biden, Right. I mean, Trump is not, you know, Trump is not a normal politician, right? He was, I mean, we see all these leaks coming out now that he was really quite close to having a successful coup, right? I mean, just every day there's another piece of, you know, something from the DOJ or something from, you know, some kind of crazy thing we never even thought possible that it's worse than what we knew. So do something about the
0: coup thing, actually, because please believe me, there's no one who is, you know, on some level more alarmed about what's happened to American democracy than I am and, and, and Trump and the threat that he represented. to However, I actually think it's kind of dangerous. I don't believe that Donald Trump was that close to a successful coup. And the bottom line is what happened, first of all, at the Capitol on January 6th was outrageous and beyond anything I ever could have imagined, but functionally irrelevant in terms of, you know, the actual transition of power, Uh, And it wouldn't have mattered, number one. Number two, I think you saw very strong resistance from military leaders, which has frankly gotten muddled. And honestly, Democrats have really muddled that clarity by this sort of obsession with the the tick-tock of, you know, who said what to whom and the National Guard and bringing them out. Like, the Congress of the United States and their security system screwed up big time, right? And they do seem to not want us to (laughs) focus— Whether the National Guard got there at 5 p.m., you know, which is when they were actually sent out, it appears, on that day, or 3 p.m., they never would have gotten there in time to prevent the breaching of the U.S. Capitol because the Capitol Police screwed up and those and the Justice Department and those who were responsible for the security that day had failed to activate them in advance. But I, the reason I'm mentioning this though is the point being the bigger point, which I think is a very important point, which is that you can't have a successful coup d'etat in this country, uh, you know, or in any country really, unless you have the power ministries on your side. And that wasn't going to happen to Donald Trump. Now, what we've seen is incredible and terrifying weaknesses, uh, first of all, in many individual states where it came down to a handful of office holders with integrity who, you know, insisted that results be certified in the proper way and all of that. You know, certainly the weakness inside the Congress, I think, is something that perhaps we didn't realize when we think of the, the separation of powers. And, you know, if one branch isn't exercising its powers, right, you know, that, that seems to be a danger thing. And then, of course, the politicization of the Justice Department in a very disturbing way. But in, in the end, by the way, and, you know, again, it's not like I'm some cheerleader for Bill Barr, but, you know, we had not one but two attorneys general, Bill Barr and his appointed successor, you know, who both said no way to Donald Trump. We're not pursuing your fraudulent claims. And we had a Supreme Court that was never going to go there anyway.
2: Right. Listen, I'm always happy to feel better about things.
0: I don't believe that we were. I believe that we had a president who would have considered it if he, right. if it, if he could he could it.
2: Yeah. Do you worry now about the sort of these partisan recounts and the way they're sort of politicized? I mean, it feels like the kind of conservative legislative interests like ALEC and and groups like that have really zeroed in on legislation
0: that focuses around voting. Absolutely. And I think it's very disturbing. First of all, imagine what a more competent uh, version of the Trump administration or one that merely learned from the failures of this Post election attack on the system, right? So, you know, like absolutely, you iterate, you get smarter and smarter about how to attack the system. I do think that, again, that's why I'm saying, like, it's not that my alarm, you know, is any less than people, because in fact, I do think it's a fair characterization to say you've seen a radical shift in one of the two parties, in the Republican Party to have not 100%, but, you know, a large, if not dominant faction that has turned anti-Democratic small d and is attacking the very system and the legitimacy of it and is fueled by a series of voters and very cynical leaders like Donald Trump who are spewing, you know, kind of lies and attacks on the system that are actually now being believed. What are the numbers? Like over 50% of Republicans are saying that they somehow think... Trump is both the true president and is going to be reinstated, it's madness. So, again, you know, I don't want to I'm just saying that, like, let's tell people that, you know, we came this close to a coup when that actually happens.
2: Right. But that is also worrying. Yes, absolutely. It's terrifying, honestly. Can we talk for a minute about Joe Manchin and what's happening
0: right now in Congress with the voting rights bill? You know, the question is, can some version, some facsimile of the system, as a previous generation understood it, uh, be resurrected or reinvented for this moment in a way that can enable a version of regular order to proceed? Are there enough good faith actors? You know, obviously a lot of people have already come to the conclusion on that, and they think that mansion's being played. The flip side is, were these people deluding themselves? Like, a 50-50 Senate it's a 50 right. 50 Senate. I'm not that good right. at math. And even I knew like, you know, <laughs> you don't get from 50 50 Senate to LBJ in yeah. one small step. And I, I I always wondered this spring, like, have people kind of lost it a little bit?
2: Right. No, I agree. I mean, he has to he, he has to operate in what he is given. Right. I mean, there's no there you know, there's not 10 extra votes. But I mean, it does seem to me like the voting rights, there are a few Republicans who seem like they could be on board with the voting rights, if the situation were reversed, Mitch McConnell has been able to maneuver with very slim majorities in previous iterations of the Senate. And I just think it's a bit it's like Democrats really, you know, they sort of do fall apart.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that could be the story here. Again, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Look, the thing that's so fascinating to me about Manchin, right, is that he's essentially a dinosaur. And I actually don't mean in policy terms or anything like that. In the recent past, the not so distant past, there were a whole category of elected officials, you know, national political figures like Joe Manchin who came from states that were dominated actually by the other party. And in the Reagan era, I think it was something like 24 senators came from states that had been gone the other direction at the presidential level. Right. So tickets. And that meant there was a whole category of people like Joe Manchin. Right. Claire
2: McCaskill.
0: Right. He's a caucus of, you know, not that much more than one. The numbers are extraordinary in West Virginia. What, you know, is one of the highest states for Donald Trump in the country. Yeah. Some of the things that you hear criticism of him from, you know, the left is is almost foolish uh although uh, of course it's very politically beneficial to joe manchin back home uh you know to have the the party's left wing attacking him that that's useful for him as well and of course he knows that and i suppose they know it too we can't get to deals like we did in the past because we don't have that category of person anymore
2: yeah i mean we've had congress people on the show attack joe manchin and As well, I mean, he doesn't do what I believe in, but he could easily become a Republican tomorrow. It would only help him.
0: Well, and not only that, but I I wonder how much those folks who are attacking him pay attention to recent history. What happened the last time there was a 50-50 Senate? Well, ask George W. Bush how long it lasted. It didn't even make it to the midterms. Right. You know, that's what a party switcher can do. Now, yeah. Joe Manchin is comfortable in his skin. He's been in this party his whole life. You know, he's certainly used to the criticism. And again, it's it's somewhat politically useful to him. So, you know, for whatever reason, at the moment, people don't seem to be. That worked up about it. And remember that Joe Manchin voted not once but twice to impeach and convict Donald Trump, you know, he on on many of the litmus test type issues for today's Republicans. And certainly when it comes to slavish devotion to Trump himself, uh, obviously, there's I, I just don't see Joe Manchin getting on on board. Do you see an infrastructure bill passing? Isn't that I mean, to me, that is one of the most interesting things, obviously, as a, you know, veteran Putin watcher. I'm fascinated by the the Geneva summit and what did or didn't happen there. But I think the other thing this week that is most compelling and fascinating to watch is, can there be a bipartisan bill on infrastructure? Because frankly, if they can't do that, I, I don't know what kind of bill they could do in a bipartisan way.
2: Right. I have one more question, which is, do you
0: get the sense that the media is harder on female politicians? Yes, I do. Absolutely. The media is harder on women in every position of leadership. And that includes politicians. Period. Full stop.
2: Yeah, I'm just I was trying to think of like one politician who's sort of a beloved female politician. And I really couldn't. Um, so thank you so much, Susan. And I hope you'll come back soon.
3: Hey, folks, if you haven't heard every single week, we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media, like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner, and sometimes we just have friends around to analyze what's happening in the news. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to New Abnormal. Kurt Anderson is the former editor of Spy Magazine, author of Evil Geniuses, The Unmasking of America, A Recent History, host of Studio 360, and today he's here to talk about his new podcast, which you can hear now, Nixon at War.
2: Welcome back to the new abnormal, Kurt Anderson.
5: Hello, Molly. It's such a pleasure to be back with you and Jesse.
2: So today we're here to talk about Nixon at War.
5: Nixon at War. It's this podcast, this seven-episode podcast series that I've just created and that is just momentarily about to start in weekly episodes. And it's about, yeah, the Nixon presidency, but specifically uh, Vietnam and, and uh how he egregiously, he and Henry Kissinger, his pal, his buddy, his wingman, extended the war for many thousands and tens of thousands of deaths beyond what it needed to be done, and how his politicization of it really, you know, opened the fissure uh, politically and culturally that uh, became the chasm in which we now exist. So, and it's it's that, that that's what it is, and it's based on all kinds of archival tape. That my producers and I have unearthed and put together in a kind of, I don't know, audio drama of of real history of of the late 1960s and early 1970s.
2: Okay, I want to ask you a question, which is my generation and even like really the people who are a little bit younger than I am, really, 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 really hate Henry Kissinger even more than my generation did Is it deserved?
5: You know, it is, I think, highly deserved. And it's funny, you know, because I've been around New York and the high life for a while. I've actually met Henry Kissinger. once at dinner with Henry Kissinger.
2: (laughs) He's like the party guest. He's at every, you know. Well, he
5: is. And so, because, you know, you're at dinner with him. Oh, how bad was he? Well, uh, doing the research for the last year for this book. Yeah, he he and, and Nixon were very smart guys who did very very bad things in southeast asia and no and the, the hearing them talk as we as we do in this podcast listening to for instance henry kissinger kiss ass to richard nixon unbelievably and repeatedly and and it's clear you know he's always trying to keep in nixon's good graces so he can keep being henry kissinger and uh, it's, it's amazing to hear these tapes as we put them together, to hear Kissinger saying, yes, Mr. President, we're all so proud to work for you. You're saving the world. It sounds really Trumpy. It Well, it is a little bit. And, and there's lots of ways. I mean, doing this in the late days of Trump, which we did, you know, in the end days of Trump, making this and listening to all these tapes, I realized that it's unfair to Nixon to say that Trump, has some bears some, is a descendant of his. But man, he he is. I mean, in in terms of the the paranoia, the 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 weakness for flattery, the immorality, all of it.
2: I mean, I've heard tapes of Nixon speaking, and it is eerie how Trumpy he sounds. <laughs>
5: Yeah, and there are some. There are some again because everything was taped, of course. And and what I did, yeah, one tapes. thing I didn't know about the the white the Oval Office tapes, is that Nixon installed the system because Henry Kissinger was going out in the world with his fancy Georgetown friends and his Washington Post friends, saying, "Oh, Nixon is a crazy man. He's terrible. And it's me. I'm doing all the good stuff. I'm doing the opening to China." Nixon knew that, and and so. Installed this taping system for the sake of history so that he could prove that, no, it was he, Richard Nixon, who brought peace to the world, which is such a perfect, you know, noir karma uh, twist.
2: Talk to me about. I mean, this is about the Pentagon Papers.
5: Well, there's a whole episode that's mainly about the Pentagon Papers, and of course, we're coming on the 50th anniversary of that right now. It's 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 how he got elected. Actually, uh, this this shockingly little known story of how he basically put pressure using an intermediary to put pressure on South Vietnam to say, no, 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 don't go along with these peace talks. We don't want a big happy peace breakthrough before the election. Just wait until after the election. And, and that has been kind of suppressed, and Nixon denied it to his dying day. But in this show, among other things, we really show the receipts for no, he did that. And 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 in addition to being highly immoral, it was almost certainly illegal. So there's that. But then uh, how he extended the war, and finally, you know, by 1970 or 71, yeah, okay, he was withdrawing American troops and all that. But he was he and Kissinger talked very explicitly. We have again have the receipts, have the tapes, of them saying, you know, at this point we're not gonna win, South Vietnam is gonna fall, the communists are gonna win, we just have to make that make sure that doesn't happen before November 1972. They were just absolutely brazenly explicit about that as thousands more American Americans were dying, and you know, hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of more South people in Southeast Asia. So yeah, they're bad guys. We one of his biographers, this guy John Farrell, says yeah, Watergate was bad, but, you know, this stuff he did to get elected and then extending the war in Southeast Asia, that is the most morally reprehensible thing that Richard Nixon ever did.
2: If you were going to make Kissinger a Trump world, it sounds Gosh. like he's like a little bit Stephen Miller and a little bit John Bolton.
5: But again, he's 10 times smarter than they and not evil in the way that th- that they, that certainly than Miller was evil. He He's a super smart You know, strategist. All that things, all those things, he's given credit for are true. There's nobody, nobody in Trump's world like Henry Kissinger. Nobody that brilliant. Nobody, nobody who controlled Trump as much as well and 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 you know as perfectly as Kissinger controlled uh, Nixon. So really, there's there's no. Person like that. I mean, Dick Cheney in in recent world probably comes closest to to being what Kissinger was to Nixon. But again, this anti semite Richard Nixon, and he's on all kinds of tapes being anti semitic. Has as his main guy this Jewish fella. You know, it's it's a it's an extraordinary story. It's really it's really Shakespearean.
2: I think though that there is it did set the trope of anti-semites using jews
5: i think that had happened probably before this but yes indeed
2: right i
5: mean they, he was good at that no he was and so many of his you know william sapphire his his speech writer uh you know there, there were plenty of jewish guys were his closest consigliere henry kissinger being chief among them
2: right i want to talk about the pentagon papers for a minute Alaskan politics is one of my weird obsessions. Me too. And so talk to me about the Pentagon Papers, because that's sort of so fascinating and curious. And I mean, it's not curious. We know how Nixon figures into it, but talk to us for everyone who isn't.
5: So the Pentagon Papers really are about this. They're this secret history of, of U.S. war in Vietnam for a 40 year secret history that the Pentagon. Put together in in the late sixties before Richard Nixon was there. Richard Nixon, as president, as what he did in Vietnam, isn't in the Pentagon Papers at all. He got gets off sc- scot free. It's, right, it's Kennedy and Johnson, really, right. and like the lies they told and the misguidedness that led us to that horrible catastrophe and tragedy. So they come out. Vietnam's actually going pretty well for Richard Nixon in nineteen seventy one. You know, they're winding it down, Vietnamization, getting out. You know, right. is per- doing pretty well in the polls. People. You know, approve of how he's doing with Vietnam so this thing comes out he it just it just unhinges him it sets him off the rails he who is this paranoid character who think who has for instance this secret about meddling in the war that could could bring him down that he knows about but he's such a paranoid hes he suddenly like oh my god these liberals these these peacenicks they're gonna bring me down just be, the same these same Pentagon papers people are gonna bring me down. So it just—you can just see it in the tapes. You can see it in the memos. You can see it in everything that happens in that summer of '71. He goes fucking nuts and starts, you know, putting together the enemies list, ordering, you know, a break-in of Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist in LA. All of it—that—that's when he goes off the rails because of this, this this secret history of the Vietnam War that didn't hurt him, but he—but it—but. He was so paranoid about the bad stuff that he'd done uh, before being elected and while president, the secret war in Cambodia, the secret wars in Laos, all the expansions that he'd done that he thought, oh, my God, they're going to get me now. I've got to break in. I've got to stop them. I've got to break the law.
2: So it is very sort of Shakespearean, right?
5: Oh, Totally no. I in fact in in one in one of these episodes we have a, a little bit of Lady Macbeth talking. You know, it is absolutely Shakespearean, and I you know it could there's a little bit of Iago is could be Henry Kissinger and yeah and and Nixon is Richard II and Lady Macbeth. You know, yeah, sure.
2: Just talk to us about Mike Gravel,
5: Alaska Senator Mike Gravel.
2: Yeah, well, and also because he is the man who gets the Pentagon Papers released, and then he's now, you know.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of Daniel Ellsberg in this podcast, too, who is an interesting character, right? He he was this he was the guy who copied and leaked the Pentagon Papers. So he copies them and leaks them, and he's figured he was going to prison for the rest of his life, which Richard Nixon, as we have him talking to J. Edgar Hoover and Henry Kissinger and other people about in this show— wanted to do. He was obsessed with it. And of course, hmm, Jewish is part of it. But Jewish intellectual who the press loved, like Alger Hiss. He The other thing, I mean, kids, Alger Hiss was a guy back in the 1940s, before any of us were born. But he was this, you know, former communist State Department, deep state guy. And Nixon made his career persecuting and prosecuting him. And then he saw, oh, this is happening again. Daniel Ellsberg is just it's Alger Alder Hiss. We've got to destroy him in the press. And these tapes, again, I got to say, I mean, they're just like, it's, it's, it's like a spooky drama of him t- saying, of mixing up Alger Hiss and Daniel Ellsberg and now and then.
2: I need to add in a little historic aside here. Alger Hiss, friend of my grandfather's. Oh, you're a communist,
5: <laughs> grandfather. yes.
2: Yes, I have to tell you, Henry Kissinger in like 2000, he was like the Salman Rushdie of dinner Park. like he was everywhere. Yes, you couldn't shake a stick without hitting a war criminal.
5: Yeah. The other thing I, I didn't know about all this is is that is how you know I thought of Watergate. Okay, that's 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 what everybody knows about Nixon. I was you know whatever I was a teenager and it was happening. Okay, he's gone. I didn't realize that the what Nixon and Kissinger did in Vietnam, was, was led directly to Watergate. The, as I said, this, this Pentagon Papers 1971 freak out, like, we can do anything, we can commit any crime because it's all national security. Vietnam really, in so many ways, led directly to Watergate. And 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 we try to tell that story here. And then, of course, thinking about this, deep into this, I realized that how he politicized Vietnam, right? Is oh, you know, silent majority. You're all with us. You don't like those liberals and those elites and those protesters. It was it was the first run of, of course, you know what we've seen, especially in the age of Trump, of of that of that us versus them, cultural political divide. Richard Nixon, you know, trying to get Americans with him on Vietnam, really has. Invented that in 68, 69, 70, you know. So,
3: Kerr, I saw that you discussed the story of Anna Chenault a bit. Could you tell our listeners a bit about what they'll hear in this about that?
5: Yeah. Anna Chenault should have her own podcast. She should be the star character of her own biopic. She w- was this, this glamorous, rich Washington, uh, born in China, widow of an Air Force general. They had started a an airline in America, a cargo airline. He died quickly. She became this anti-communist, right-wing activist. The biggest, one of the biggest contributors to the Richard Nixon's campaign and other Republican campaigns. His 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 chief female uh, fundraiser. Nixon, in the summer of 1968, makes her his intermediary with South Vietnam, whose ambassador to the United States she was close pals with. So he uses her in this fantastically (laughs) noir movie way, calls her the Dragon Lady, to get South Vietnam to screw up this peace talk breakthrough that the Democratic president was about to... Announce, was announcing. It's an amazing story with ins and outs and twists. And and Nixon denied it the rest of his life. Even the Nixon Library today really waves it away. Nothing to see here. And kind of suppresses it, but we really put it together, and I think make it in in this very dramatic way, convincingly show how that worked and that that was a real thing. And you know, there's something there's the X file that Lyndon Johnson kept until he died, and there's all this, you know, CIA and F- FBI surveillance of her as she was dealing with the South Vietnam South Vietnamese. It's a it's it's a fantastic story that. You know, I, I've asked 10 of my friends, do you know about the Anna Schnault story? One of them did, kind of. So it's a really, even even among journalists and, and you know, people who read the paper and know history, it's a very little known story, partly because Richard Nixon uh, and the Nixonites have, have successfully covered it up, suppressed it. And then and then Watergate became a bigger thing, so it kind of got lost in the dust. But it's it's an extraordinary story, and it's worth the price of admission. And, of course, the price of admission to this podcast is free.
2: That's right.
5: You've piqued my interest for sure. Good.
2: This was fantastic. I really appreciate you. You know the interview is over when my dogs start having a total nervous breakdown.
3: They tell you to quit. Yeah. <laughs> What's crazier than QAnon? More outlandish than Pizzagate? And scarier than a Mexican getaway with Ted Cruz? The answer is what the American right wing has planned next. Be one of the first to listen to Fever Dreams, new podcast from The Daily Beast tracking the conspiracy slingers, orange acolytes, and straight-up grifters pushing to retake power. Every Wednesday, hosts Swin Subisang and Will Summer checking in on the movement of the radical right. Head to thedailybeast.com slash podcasts Or your favorite podcast player to catch the first episode and get subscribed. That's Fever Dreams, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Crackhead Barney and Drew Rosenthal are the duo behind the Instagram, TikTok, and internet phenomenon Crackhead Barney and Friends which has produced a few amazing viral moments in the past few months. And we're happy to say they were our first guests for an in-person podcast we've had on The New Abnormal.
2: I saw, I think you did the best interview with Andrew Giuliani I've ever seen.
6: Oh my God, stop. (laughs) It's true. Stop complimenting me because I may believe it. You do something
2: that is something that I always struggle with, which is how do you interview people who you know are garbage?
6: Oh my god, maybe cuz I'm a garbage too. So I you know I could see like it's a mirror image of like myself. So um I I you know I I am I'm, I'm known to be a piece of shit. So um I look at myself and we're like reflections of each other. So it's easy to mirror their trash. Um Andrew Giuliani was actually a really fun interview because I hate his dad. And I actually and I I, I hate his father. His policies were super racist and it seems like his fa- his, uh, his son wants to continue in this racist uh Bullshit and ideology So like That was super easy Actually Two days Like that Thursday Oh, So we met Andrew Giuliani Like Sunday Yeah Thursday Friday Thursday night I was manifesting Seeing his son because I was like, I fucking hate Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. I remember Amadou Diallo. I remember oh, the stop remember and frisk. I remember like his father was like uh, elevating the officers that shot him. Yeah. He was promoting them. They were getting like fire of FDNY. They were getting promotions, desk duty. And I was like, fuck, I want to see his son and like tear him to shreds. Because his father is a piece of shit. Yeah. So I saw him on Sunday at the Zionist rally. And I was like, wow, I got to get him.
2: What I think is interesting about... By the way, you at the Zionist rally is amazing, and you're. But you do really like bring out people who they are. Do I know, do, because like when you had that interview with the guy who was like just being degrading to you. Which one? The. <laughs> but you know, like you're able to bring out people. Who, as they are which is the point of interviews
6: yeah yeah you know you want that Um, yeah let them speak like yeah. the worse the better yeah you know they, f- they feel like they're like insulting me but I'm like no you're giving me better footage like yeah. hit me beat me fuck yeah. me like call me a slut call yeah. me a nigger like I don't care like yeah. this is like really good footage and it
2: is like you do capture like the connection you feel towards people you interview yeah because like when I was watching it because I always have trouble because I just want people to like me and <laughs> that's a really bad quality yeah tab. don't know Oh,
6: fuck yeah. all that.
2: Mm-hmm. I, fuck all that. I mean, so I I thought it was interesting, but it is interesting when he was like, we're going to clean up New York.
6: <laughs> yeah, what does
2: that
3: mean? So, so we should back up, though. How did all this happen? Yeah. How did, how did, how did you two get this? started doing this?
6: Okay, so I'm a, perf- I'm a weirdo. I'm a performance artist. We're I, all weirdos. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like, I used to do, like, subway performances, like, rolling on the floor. Yeah. A lot of my performances went viral, and yeah. I didn't speak. I didn't speak at all. So Drew took interest in me and I didn't trust him. I'm like, why is this white boy in my face? Why does he like (laughs) want to work with me? What does he want? Does he want to like own me or, you know, you know, you know, all my shit, all these like uh, negative experiences came back to me with white men. But then, you know, I was like, you know, let me try something different. So I was like, okay, Drew, what's your idea? He's like, let's do a documentary on you. So he did it. He was doing a documentary. I mean, so during the documentary, we um started going to like these. We went to Staten Island during uh, a MAGA rally. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah. A
7: very bad situation. Yeah, very yeah, bad. So- I, 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 I learned just, a lot from that.
3: Yeah. Just saying that puts chills on my but also, body. It's
2: so. I mean, Staten Island is really interesting because it's so close to here. And it's like another world.
6: Yeah, I almost got killed. They yeah. almost stomped me to death. Yeah. So they, what? The co- yeah, the yeah, cops they're... had to take me, and I got chained to like a psych, a uh, psych ward oh, university University. She, she got brought to a
7: hospital, like a psych ward, and they had to do like an evaluation on her and everything. But yeah, no, she, she, she probably performed for like what, like five, ten minutes. Not even yeah, one yeah, second. Yeah. It was like probably like seconds. Yeah, it was like seconds before. Uh, she was, like, surrounded by MAGA people. I'm pretty sure a lot of them were off-duty officers.
6: That's what's uh, really scary. Right. Mm-hmm. Our other—our our co-star, uh, he was—he's white, and he was scared. But I was like, nah, nothing's gonna happen. Because I'm thinking about New York City. Right, right, right. Like, it's non- New York, New York City. City. And then I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I was like—we
7: I was like, we were we were scared when we got there because we saw, like, all these just, like, big, angry men with MAGA hats— and it was just like you heard like roaring audiences in the background like you know like like it was like a, we, it was like what was it like it was like a mall complex yeah and Staten Trump Island. and they are playing
6: Trump yeah. was who was talking yeah. was it Andrew Drew?
7: I don't know we we got there near the end of it <laughs> yeah
6: um, and, and they I, we were, we were
7: like we were like let's scope it out let's let's just scope it out like let's see if it's safe like let's not jump, jump in there and we're walking towards there, and all of a sudden i see Barney put on the mask the Trump mask <laughs> right and, then, like, and she just goes ahead she has like a baby stroller she does she has this whole fucking get up and, and they're
6: stuffing the american yeah, down and, my path. Uh, it was just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's and
7: loose. that's when all hell broke Like this guy came and he like grabbed the flag away from her, uh, and then she was sitting on the ground with the stroller and, and, a, and a baby doll, right? Yeah, I had a, yeah, I had yeah. a black
6: yeah. baby. Yeah.
7: <laughs> and people were screaming at her, and then the police I, came yeah, and they were, they were like, like, "You're not well. You're not well. That's that's my bad uh, accent." <laughs> you not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they brought her. Uh, they essentially uh, they picked her up. They actually kind of paraded you around. Yeah, my titty, yeah, my yeah. titty fell out It was pretty messed up People were <laughs> yeah. like Shouting at you And like She had the Trump mask on And her boob was out And she was being paraded around By the police And they uh, They brought her to a psych ward uh, wow. So I had We had to go find her And <laughs> of course You know What did they, fi- they find What did do they find they found out you were saying finding or? her A little
6: bit <laughs> No, had, I'm not really saying. <laughs> I just
2: played it very well. Uh, I mean, I can't. That's kind of like 18th century stuff, right? I
7: don't Did they they have trouble
6: finding order. me. They called the precinct.
7: Yeah, uh, actually, I mean, usually they uh, like if you just are a random caller and you you call the precinct, like they they don't give you a straight answer about right. those types of things. But for whatever reason, I, I called the closest precinct and they were like, <laughs> "Oh, they brought her to so <laughs> and so hospital." we have like, all oh, heard yeah, the story yeah, yeah, already.
5: Yeah.
3: That, <laughs> yeah.
7: yeah. And,
2: but you really, it really goes to show how fucked up staten island is i think that's yeah. the message
7: here yeah we don't go to stat like we like, will go to dc yeah. we'll go to like other we'll go to other crazy stuff i mean it's scary out there like the stuff we do is crazy but like staten island i'm not sure about that <laughs> yeah like, Who wanted I, to go we haven't been back since Yeah. your
3: video where you're rolling around the soldiers everything like i literally like <laughs> fell down crying like oh, laughing really? it was so oh, funny yeah.
7: <laughs> I don't. What would what would you say is like a safe situation versus a dangerous situation out
6: there? Um, like if they try to, you know, what we don't want, like when they try to break his camera.
7: Oh, that's a new thing. Yeah, they started the a yeah. new
6: thing because usually they will go after me, but then they're like, no, uh, yeah. since he's like enabling me, we'll go to tr- go after I'm the- <laughs> <laughs> <They> <laughs> try go him. I'm
7: enabling
6: You They camera. That's the new tactic. Yeah, yeah they we do had now. a couple
7: people recently try to attack me. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, how expensive is that camera? Like, yeah, yeah how much like, you do you like yeah, the yeah, camera? Yeah, exactly.
6: What are your dream interviews? Oh, we want to catch Yang again. Yeah. You know what I want to do? Like, so um, these politicians, like, I want to get them, like, jumping out of a bush while they're, like, dancing or campaigning. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or, like, hobbling on my crutches. Yes. Like, you know, like, yeah, popping out of a trash can while they think, like, everything is safe and they're, like, doing their little campaign speech. Um, Dream interview. You know I want to interview? Thomas Markle right now. Oh. Because Thomas Markle, Meghan Markle's father, is saying that nobody is giving him a platform. He's like, Oprah ignored him. Well, I can be your Oprah. (laughs) I can be your fucking Oprah. Like, come on. Watch that.
3: Out of that, yeah, yeah. Seriously. I would love
6: fuck Buckingham Palace, fuck everything, <laughs> and we'll talk shit about Meghan. We'll talk shit about Prince Harry. We'll talk shit about the royal family. Like, let's do this. And you know, his sister, the the daughter, is an attention whore. The Megan Markle sister.
3: Well, I, I I would like to know though. So, what in your past do you think enabled you to do this confrontational stuff? A lot of people don't have this in
6: them. Yeah, rejection. Yeah, Pain? Okay. Yeah, yeah, rejection. I'm like an art world reject.
2: Yeah. Art world like,
6: reject, um, I don't know, everything reject. But the
2: art world sucks. I mean, it's like Basquiat was an art world reject. You know? Oh, he,
6: but he ain't got Andy Warhol.
2: Well, he eventually he wasn't, but he was not Yeah,
3: a so it did, 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 didn't have a, a lot of time where... Uh, he made a lot of the paintings that people love today with people
6: totally shunning him and telling him he was terrible.
2: Do you psych yourself up before you do these interviews?
6: I have to mentally prepare myself a yeah. little bit, like, okay, uh... You know, I get, like, my outfit ready. I get, like, thinking, like, what's the theme for the day? Yeah. Like, you know, like, St. Paddy's. I was like, okay, green. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Palestinian, Zionist, rope. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, so, like, maybe the outfit has something to... It channels, like, sort of, like, the energy or the manifestation of what I want. But, yeah, like, the outfit, like, sort of, like, gets me going. But, yeah, I have to mentally tell myself. Also... Drew has to calm me down because if I get too angry, I can't perform. Yeah. I can't. Because yeah, I, yeah. like I get like, ah, fuck you, yeah. fuck yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, I get, like, crazy and I can't, like, um, do anything. It's like, a, what do you call it? We build. Yeah. We're building. So, you know, I like to sort of like have I re- I reach my zenith in like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you have to like you have to like build yes.
2: what do you think about this mayoral race? Who have you interviewed in the mayor's race?
6: Yang and Giuliani just and Yang.
7: Uh, well, Giuliani's running for governor, oh. and then we are it was
3: Oh yeah, yes. Curtis.
7: Oh. Yeah, uh, America's yes. oldest uh, cosplayer.
6: Yeah, man, he's been around since the '80s. I remember when I was like a, a little girl. Yeah, he
2: just dreams of stabbing someone. I mean, <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's a whole career built on his hopes. He's kind
7: of—he he thinks him. he's like a Batman archetype, right? Yeah. He's like a vigilante. Yeah. He's not a billionaire, but he's a vigilante and he just acts on the behalf of law and order. No, not, not a billionaire. Kid. Did you see the article the other
3: week about how he lives, He lives in a 420 yes. square foot apartment like cats, with 17 right? cats.
7: Yeah. Oh God. Well, that's oh, he's always though. posting pictures of his cats. Yeah, I don't know. I love cats. yeah. He loves cats. I try, he you know, I try seven, to find eight. out where he is, but he just posts pictures of his cats. So it's a yeah. little. you
2: yeah. should interview yeah. the other ones. Yeah, Yang is, is
7: the easiest. Like I know, I know from some friends in the media that like Yang is like like at least used to just give out his schedule to everybody. Yeah. But Eric Adams, like apparently yeah. not. Like he like is very careful about who he gives the schedule to. So he's a lot harder to figure out. We had one opportunity to see him but I think I was injured that day yeah we were so, running yeah. from
6: the Zionist oh and yeah, yeah, yeah oh gosh that, yeah, that was
7: one of the ones in what? Times Square and-
6: what happened there we couldn't even do f- uh, footage. It was a it was, mess that it day. It was like, yeah. like, just were, mob. we
7: went to three rallies, uh, Zionist rallies in Times Square, and I think the second one, a lot of counter protesters showed up, yeah, and they like b- broke through the barriers. Like you probably saw about it on the news, yeah, but they a broke bit. through the barriers. Like we, I was just standing there in shock. I was like filming <laughs> some of it, but I was like, we should get out of here. Like yeah. it was a situation where I was like, I don't know what could happen here. And at one point, the police were were uh, kind of just like rushing all the uh, Palestinian, like, uh, counter-protesters, and, like, we ran. Like, we were running through, like, through Times Square. Um, and we like, I think we, we didn't shoot anything that day. We were just no, like, we couldn't. yeah, we stayed uh, safe for a little bit because we, you know, we can't help from
6: that adrenaline we, yeah, rush. We, just yeah, this is the only way, we could, only
7: way we know how to have fun, but. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Do
2: police, I, I've seen interviews with you where you, it feels like you know some of these police.
6: Yeah, because of the, we hang out protesters, we hang out Black Lives Matter protests, black, black trans protesters, and they like, um. They, you, they do extensive research. They'll scan their badge number, look up all the allegations, and they know them by like name, by face, the precinct. They'll do like extensive research the on these. Black Lives pl- Matter people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, they'll do extensive research. They'll like have this app. They'll scan them. They yeah. started calling me by first yeah, they, name. Yeah, they all
7: know her. Like oh. all the NYPD watches it. They're probably yeah, the biggest fans like of Barney. our show right now. I'm like
6: crackhead yeah. Barney.
7: Yeah.
2: I kind
6: of love that. That's cool. It's that a little they, scary. It's a little scary. They, but they're fans. Uh. Well, there, was one lady at the, there was one police officer. Jumping, she's like, Oh my god, you're the green lady! And then her mm. cops told us, Don't do that, don't do that, <laughs> like,
7: don't do that, don't do that. Uh, maybe do it's a love hate thing. Do you,
2: what do you think about the police? Because it seems like. From what I've seen, they have not gotten any better. It's just that de Blasio was scared of them, so he didn't do
6: anything. <laughs> it's just like a mess. Like, look at the fucking curfew at Washington Square Park. Yeah. Which yeah. was just crazy. How were you was, like, there? How they used, like, this brute force. Now nah, we shot in D.C. You're going to see the episode. Okay. We did, like, a Christian. We were coming back from D.C. Yeah, that day. <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah, we... Where'd you guys stand? Oh, gosh. We did a yeah. we got that's our, cursed that's our Pride out. episode. You know Bevel yeah. and Beattie? No, I don't. Shit, know. she tarred up the Black Lives Matter uh, in the summer. Okay. Oh, the I do You yeah, know yeah. her, Bevelin Beattie with, yeah. the, with the with the with the with yeah, the. Yeah,
3: she, she she rolled over the Black Lives Matter Plaza painting.
6: It, with black paint, so we went to her rally S- of that June fifth. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: yeah. so we
6: went, to her, She's she's a right wing Christian woman, but she's black. So right. all the white wing Christian people love her. So she's Candace a Candace Owens.
4: She's like a oh, can, she's like
6: a smaller Candace, a little bit more ferocious. Po- Candace Owens is more like, she's more like a little bit more. She's polished. Yeah. Bevlin Beauty is not really polished. So she gave me she gave me how many exorcisms? Yeah, I don't
7: know. Like, she, like, yeah. don't <laughs> <exorcisms>? she got <laughs> tons of exorcisms. She got, got tons yeah. of exorcisms
6: by Bevlin, her followers. Then she cursed me out. She called him my slave yeah. master. She what? went in. It was great. She footage. went in. What? She was like, "You're not even getting paid for this. You're a monkey. That, that hurt you because that- that <laughs> I'm not getting monetized. I'm not."
2: Is you will though. Is an exorcism like a massage? I mean, what is that? No, it's more like a verbal uh, beating.
7: It's like a mixture of, of prayers and, and speaking in tongues. while So there's something verbally abuse. Over, yeah. verbal but abuse. there's no... No mas- spinning heads and vomiting.
2: No, no. massage. don't oh, to it.
6: Massage it. I'm um, good. There- Back no, I wanted them to. Remember, I was like, "Touch me, touch me." I was like, "Give you consent." <laughs> I know, I they were. They were like, don't, and they were like, don't touch her, don't touch her.
7: I think, I think, they were, some of them were putting their head, their hands on your head. I said, like, yeah, "Get yeah. back no, I was like, "Do it, yeah. do it, yeah. do it." Yeah. yeah, and I
6: was like backing up on like the um.
7: I, I got to review that footage. Yeah, I was it was backing wild, up On
6: Bevelin and yeah, North she had the crazy. Trump
7: mask on. She was pulling red yarn out of the yeah. mouth of the Trump mask. do well. And for for context, this was a rally. Get this for formerly LGBTQ people. So, uh, pretty dark. Yeah. Um, but that's where we were. Yeah. Um, so, we started interviewing them about their experience with that, and which led quickly to an exorcism, which was ideal.
4: Yeah, <laughs> that's what we wanted.
7: <laughs> so, 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 let me ask you know, so when
3: Sasha Barrett Cohen or Eric Andre do these things, they have a security team. Mm. Uh, oh, God. Uh, we,
7: <laughs> no, Is it work, just you two? Yeah. yeah. I, I've uh, I've kind of accepted that we're, we're, we might get beaten up one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know.
6: But I, got, I, got, I was gonna like push during the Zionism and oh, that like was yeah. People were face. pushing me too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Just us. I mean, have, I, I try I
7: try to cut our losses if it gets too dangerous. Yeah, the, the guy from um, that owns Max Max Public House. Yeah. you know you know that the autonomous zone. Uh, in Staten what's Island. Petri? What's the name?
6: Petri. What?
7: Oh no, it's Danny no
6: Presty. Danny Presty. Okay, so, so there's, there's an always, autonomous. There zone. There was an this autonomous
7: zone. So when the lockdown happened, this was the gym. It was it was it was a, it was a bar called no, Max Public House. Oh, not that guy. Yeah. That's uh, the guy in Jersey. Right. No, yes, no, not yes, him. Yes, right. So wait,
2: there's an autonomous zone in Staten Island. There, there
7: was. I think the police broke it up. Max Public um, House. Yeah, but it was like headline news and everything, and, and what it was, was like it for? a symbol of like an, an anti-lockdown kind uh, of like protest, no basically. Masks, so no. everybody was in there with no mas- All these conservatives in this uh, this bar in Staten Island yeah. called Max Public House, and the owner of it was just like becoming this big like kind of leader for like the anti-lockdown movement and everything. Mm-hmm. And we almost like went to film there, but. We realize like no we'll like we'll get our ass beat and, like no down. one yeah. will give so a shit yeah. um Wait, the but, last
2: time that happened you got stuck in a psych ward maybe yeah,
6: we don't care and yet. They, and they're probably like undercover they're like off-duty police officers and oh, no, really a lot of them, them are yeah
7: we saw danny presti at an anti-masker anti-vax yeah. rally recently and like he was the one person uh he was the first person to come at me and try to attack me and like break my camera so like <laughs> so like yeah like it's stuff out there is getting real. People. Have you done
2: the Proud Boys? Oh, with oh, yeah. the
7: Boogaloo. We we no, no, was the Proud Boys were there too? We went to a gun rally. What uh, okay. was it called? It was called a. It was a gun rally in in Richmond, Virginia, and there were That's all really sorts of right wing extremist yeah. groups there. Yeah, so the Boogaloo Boys were there. We had an interview with the Boogaloo oh, boys, yeah, we did the Proud boys, and then we did the Proud Boys there nice. too. But Bar- Barney's famous with the Proud Boys. Yeah, Proud Boys call me
6: like Bikini Bottom.
7: Yeah, yeah this is this is like we were just getting started. Like no one yeah. really knew about our show, and I went out there with Barney to D.C. for the first time, and like people knew her. Like we saw like like, P- Mar- like Proud Boys like marching in the streets saying like fuck Antifa, fuck Antifa, and like then they see Barney and they're like oh hey Barney, how's it going?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Do you think there's a performative element to this? Like do you feel like They're performing too A little bit
6: Yeah You know what So I think they are performing Because I think that they have Like a love-hate relationship With us Because what they've been Doing recently is The one Angel Stanton She's another black oh, yeah, Right wing exactly. Oh you know Angela Stanton I wrote about her Yeah So what she does is She reposted our she's episode She's not related
2: to Martin Luther King at all Oh, okay. oh wow. no That is no. like She took the name Of the friend Who was related to Martin Luther I mean, King Oh it's Not, yeah. not here, surprising she had a lot of, yeah. Okay Yeah so
6: She'll repost that episode, all of her followers will comment and say they hate it, they hate it, they hate it but then why are you looking at it and why are you reposting it? They reposted like tw- they reposted a clip and reposted a full episode and then they come to our comments and curse us out like I think that's the performative access act, uh, uh, act, that they have to um, do what the, you know, what the crowd is doing yeah I hate it, I hate it, I think they actually like it
3: tell everyone where they can find you guys
6: yeah. oh, right uh, Instagram at Friends. Twitter chbaf or Crackhead Barney and Friends. We have a www.crackheadbarneyandfriends.com. I'm um, Crackhead Barney is back on Instagram, and-, and
7: don't forget about the TikTok. Our TikTok's a little funky. It's instead of and it's nd. So our TikTok mm-hmm. is Crackhead Barney Crack Crackhead nd Barney and Friends.
2: Hi, Hi Jesse Cannon.
7: Hi Molly Jungfast. So steep competition today.
2: There's a lot of fuckers doing a lot of really fucked up shit out there. <laughs>
3: Who's the one today?
2: He's been in this category before, representative dentist.
3: This is Representative Paul Gosar we're talking about. Paul
2: Gosar, yes. And there are like five dentists in Congress. I don't know if you know this. There are five dentists in Congress. There are many dentists in Congress, though none of that. I mean, I don't know. But his family has continually disavowed him except for his mother. He... Represents a very rural part of Arizona, and he sucks. But what's interesting today was, you know, Republicans have been working really hard to downplay the Capitol riots. You know, we've heard they it was tourism. We've heard all sorts of different kind of insane excuses.
3: The new one is uh, one six was an inside job by the deep state.
2: Yeah, that's Tucker Carlson's that it, the the FBI was involved, which is. Preposterous!
3: It was MTG's Instagram yesterday, too.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's basically the same thing. <laughs> but what was interesting, I thought, was that uh, this is like taking it one step further. And Representative Gosar is now saying that, in fact, you know, he doesn't even admit that Ashley Babbitt was, you know, breaking a window to get into the Capitol. And she was leading a group of insurrectionists. Instead, he has put it, he's sort of turning it around and he's saying, actually, she was murdered. She was shot while committing a crime and... The idea that this is somehow.
3: That the officer was lying in wait was
2: his. Right. And that is why I say to you, Representative Dentist, go fuck yourself. Jesse, who's your fuck that guy for today?
3: My, I'm sorry. I don't want to go by Jesse anymore. I'd prefer if you called me by my preferred nickname, which is Pipe Hitter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me you don't have any (laughs) gay friends. (laughs) telling me i don't have any gay friends (laughs) the the, the listener does not know uh former secretary of pipe mike (laughs) pipe he's a pipe hitter
3: he tried to make fetch happen with this new pipe hitter thing where he was going to say that this is a a new type of patriot he was going to try to do that thing that they all, all the republicans are trying to do now which is they're saying let me get a little bit of that trump Judge of influence and try to rile up the hogs and really like get them going. And uh, unfortunately, whoever was helping with this must really hate him. And when whoever said that Pipe Hitter was going to be this, they're like, great idea, Mike, take that one out to the people.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't, it's interesting, but Mike Pompeo has, uh, you know, he wants to start a group called the Pipe Hitters. But as we all know, What? I mean, I've never even (laughs) heard of that. It's like some kind of weird 1950s crack reference.
3: You know, know, Molly, I just realized, though, maybe we're pipe hitters in a different way. Should that be Crackhead uh, Barty's fan club name? And then we are pipe hitters.
1: But, (laughs)
2: yes, I think that's right.
3: On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode.